The Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Fairfield Inn & Suites by Marriott. Right now, they're giving away $20,000 in the Small Business Road to Success Challenge. Visit fairfieldchallenge.com to submit your small business today. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Phil Libin. He is the CEO of Evernote, uh, a service or a tool. Um, it sort of defies uh, description, really, but people use to uh, save their ideas, save things they see, save things they like, and then just kind of store all those memories in one place on any computer phone or, as we all have now, device uh, that we happen to use, and it's all for free. So, uh, Phil, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. So, I think I read somewhere that you all uh, just uh, crawled over the 2 million user mark, uh, but uh, before we really dive into that, uh, tell me tell me a little bit or what you know of the sort of humble beginnings behind, the, you know, the idea for starting this service. I mean, is this one of those where somebody sat around the room and said, gosh, I wish I had a tool that would do X for me, and, and then they said, well, let's just make it ourselves? Well, uh, so two million was was uh, recently, but I think we're way past that now. I think we're coming up on four almost. Oh my! Um, okay. Three point seven, three point eight. So you must be at least a week out of date. Wow! Um, <laughs> yeah, it sort of sort of takes off and uh, gets gets some weird uh, weird math going, doesn't it? Yeah, we're we're adding about nine thousand new people every day. Which wow! Is kind of kind of weird. Yeah. Kind of strange. Um, well, you know, the goal behind Evernote was was uh, we basically realized that no one is fully happy with their meat brain. Yeah. Uh, everyone wants something better, and so we just thought, well, if we if we can make something that uh, helps your brain work better, make sure you remember everything, never forget anything ever again, then uh, that would be near universal demand for uh, for such a product. And you know, it's just a matter of uh, of actually getting it right. So. Well, now is this a inspiration behind it? Is it, so David Allen is not somehow have his fingerprints on this with uh, GTD or. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I had never, um, n- none of us had, uh, knew what uh, GTD was okay. when we started out. We didn't know David Allen. Yeah. Uh, it was not, not at all um, in, uh, kind of in, in our line of thinking. Um, I'm a very disorganized person. Yeah. Uh, I don't really follow. You know, every year or two in the past, I've tried to adhere to some kind of a organizational tool or philosophy, and it's always just failed. So we just did it as a place for you know, disorganized folks to throw everything in and, and, and have the same benefits as the you know five or ten percent of us that happen to be well organized. But as soon as we launched, you know, within within months, you know, we started hearing about you know people started tweeting about how they use Evernote for GTD and yeah. tweeting about about uh, getting things done and David Allen and you know so we actually found out who you know who he was and what the movement was uh, after the fact, and it's a great fit. And you yeah. know, since then we've you know we've, we've done a few things together and it, it's. Uh, uh, it actually really works uh, very well for GTD, but it definitely wasn't the uh, definitely wasn't the original ins- uh, inspiration. Just sort of a happy coincidence. Yeah, David's great too. I mean, he will openly admit that he is tool ag- agnostic. You know, I mean, he, if you if a piece of paper and a pen help you get it done, then you know who cares. Um, There's actually a, a really great story about um, uh, so how I first you know met David. Um, I, I didn't know who he, I mean I knew who he was after after you know kept reading about him from Evernote, but I'd never actually talked to him or anything. And then somebody tweeted at him right when he got on Twitter, you know, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Somebody tweeted at him, "Hey, uh, what do you think about uh, Evernote?" And he tweeted back. Um, he tweeted back something like, uh, "Don't use Evernote. Have you know too much other stuff to keep track of, whatever." And uh, 
everyone started tweeting that like David Allen just said, don't use Evernote. Ah. Um, and uh, a bunch of you know my people ran up to me right away and said, hey, this is all going around the Twitter. David Allen is telling people not to use Evernote. And so I looked at the tweet, and the way I read it was, you know, he's just trying to save a few characters. And I think what he meant to say is, I don't use Evernote. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. But what he wrote was, don't use Evernote. Uh, I thought it was kind of being misinterpreted. Yeah. So I just sent him a quick email saying, hey, David, you know, I've never met you, but it uh, looks like you're telling people not to use Evernote. I'm, I'm guessing that's not what you meant. And if it isn't what you meant, it'd be great if you could, you know, is, issue a clarification because it's causing us a lot of heartache. And he immediately said, no, no, yeah, that was a, that was a mistake. And so he tweeted saying, no, that's not what I meant. And actually, that, that's how we first met and then talked on the phone and, you know, met in person. So it was, a, it was all through uh, the magic of the Twitters. Yeah. Boy, how many stories are there like that out there? So um, is there, I always like to ask people this, I mean, is there sort of a simple, I, I know there's a simple thing that Evernote does, but is there sort of a, a simple thread or culture or you know positioning that you like to say you know if we're going to add a feature or not add a feature or we're going to add a partner or not add a partner that that it has to kind of go through this filter i mean is there sort of a mantra well you know our goal is to be your permanent ubiquitous trusted destination for all of your lifetime memories so it's, yeah. a, it's a pretty big it's a pretty big goal uh, but there's a few things in there that are important and things that go against this we we deprioritize or don't do yeah uh, you know, a big part of that is trust. So we're, we don't do anything that could erode that trust. We don't do anything, uh, you know, we don't do any data mining. We don't do anything sort of clever with your with your memories. Uh, we don't do anything that, that, that would, you know, do that. Uh, we don't do it. We, we try to stay away from purely social things. Uh, we let partners do that. We partner with social sites, but we don't really add too much social stuff ourselves. Our goal is to be, you know, Evernote is for you. It's not yeah. for your friends. Uh, it's about <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some, re some real temptation somewhere out there of people saying, hmm, 4 million people on the platform. What could we do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and we encourage that. I mean, yeah. In fact, we just launched uh, something called the Trunk, right. the Evernote Trunk, which is a you know, showcase of partner stuff. And there's a bunch of social stuff on there. There's, there's all sorts of things. But, but we try to constrain it for you know, what's for your brain, your memory, that's long-term, you know, that's trustworthy, that's not going to break in six months or 10 years. Uh, and uh, even with those restrictions, there's still, you know, thousands and thousands of things that we want to do that we don't have time for. Well, now, you have um, one of the things I want to spend some time talking about is just the whole freemium model. I mean, that's certainly out in certain valleys in California um, is, you know, a really, really hot way for companies to start up. There's been actually a lot of failures, uh, certainly taking that model. I mean, it, it uh, yeah, requires, <laughs> well, yeah, it requires that you can get a huge audience with no cost <laughs> involved, uh, huh? uh, or at least lots of money to burn through uh, costs involved, uh, value that people just say, I have to have that. Um, and then obviously you have to keep everybody that you attract uh, and, and be able to move some percentage of them up, uh, up line. So um, you are, or Evernote is often cited these days as how that model can work and be successful. Um, are, do you have a sense of, you know, what, what is it that's making people commit uh, to getting out their wallet? I, I think one of the things that's a real challenge is there are a lot of really good services out there that are worth paying for that people get kind of hooked on not paying for them and all of a sudden, you know, moving them to paying or getting out their wallet uh, and committing is pretty tough, even if you create a great product. Well, yeah, so there's a bunch of really important things that you just said. Um, so let's kind of try to unpackage something. Yeah, that was a really long question. Was it even uh, a question? Right. Well, <laughs> there's a couple of questions in there. Um, 
I think one kind of main thing is I think when people focus on freemium, they're kind of focusing on, you know, on the free part of that. Yeah. I think that's kind of a red herring. I think people yeah. are confusing themselves by focusing on the wrong thing. Uh, it's kind of a distraction um, because when, once you start focusing on that, then you naturally talk about, well, what's the conversion rate? You know, what percentage of people do you convert? And that, that, that's actually the real answer to the conversion rate is that, that doesn't really matter. That's not actually an important number um, because it's actually much simpler than all of this. So uh, forget about freemium and all this other stuff and just look at it this way as a traditional business. You got two things that are important. You've got, you know, how many people are paying you to use your product or service, you know, and how much are they actually paying? So what it, what is your total paying customer base? And how much money did it, did it, does it cost you to actually get and keep those people? So, you know, how much money are you bringing in? How much money are you spending on it, right? That, that hasn't changed for thousands of years. Right, right, That's right. the most important. Premium doesn't change that. Uh, it's still how many people do you have that, that are paying and how much did it cost you to get those people and to keep those people? Um, and so the, the percentages don't matter. It's the absolute number of paying people that matter and what the costs are. So if your goal is, you know, oh, I need to have a million people paying me. I need to have a million paid users for my service. That's kind of what I need to, you know, be profitable or whatever. Um, well, you know, you can, you can take the traditional approach and spend a lot of money buying, you know, Super Bowl ads and doing, you know, advertising and traditional marketing and then worry about your channels and partnerships and distribution you know, spend a bucket of money to try to get a million people. Or it might be simpler for certain types of businesses to, to get a million people paying. Maybe the easiest thing is to get 100 million people using it for free and talking about it and, and sharing it with their friends and, you know, seeing how much they love it and then having 1% of those convert. Or maybe it's getting 10 million people to use you for free and getting 10% convert or a billion people and getting whatever, yeah. one-tenth of 1%. Yeah. So you really got to look at the free users as, um, you know, just part of your overall costs. And what, do you, what does it cost you to, to get them, and what are you saving? Uh, and then the percentages are, are just things that you can measure, you know, as you go. They're obviously important for sort of day-to-day -day once you've figured out what the ratios you need to keep. But, at, at, you know, at the beginning, it really just has to do with make a great service and get a lot of people to pay you for it. And then the second question is, okay, what's the, easy, what's the fastest and cheapest way to get a lot of people to pay you for it? Uh, and, you know, if you're running a dry cleaners or if you're a dentist, there's established models that the Internet hasn't challenged as a way to get people to pay for your services where you just charge for it. You probably don't have anything that's free. But if you're, you know, something like Evernote, then it may actually be a lot, a much quicker route to a million paying customers might be to get, you know, 50 million free ones. Yeah, you know, I, unfortunately, I see a lot of freemium models, and I'm glad you clarified that because I think that is the mistake that approached the idea of freemium. And, and the approach is let's create something that's not worth paying for, but it'll be free, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that'll attract lots of people to us. And I think that that's probably the hurdle where a lot of people fail is, is I, I think what you've done with Evernote and continue to do with Evernote is you've created something that, that, you, that is worth paying for. Um, and so yeah. consequently, you know, the numbers will fall, right? This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. And that's, that's really critical, too. And that's sort of the second really important thing that you said is, um, 
kind of in the <laughs> original long question is what, what makes people pay and what do they pay for? Yeah. And, um, you know, it obviously depends on what kind of people and who your audience is, and this won't work for everyone, but it works really well for Evernote. Um, people, at least Evernote users, the kind of demographic that we're getting, they don't like to pay when they have to. They don't like to be forced to pay. Yeah. But they love paying for things that they love. Um, and so the goal is very much not to make a free version that sucks. You know, make a free version that's crappy to just get people to try to use it and do some kind of bait and switch, because that's going to totally work against you. That's just going to lead to resentment. The goal is to make a free version that's excellent, that's great, that the vast majority of people can use forever, you know, and be good enough. And then once enough people use it for a long enough period of time, they just they want to convert. They want to get a small number of extra features. They want to feel that they're supporting it, and so they just they just start paying. So when we when we query or when we when we do surveys. When we ask our premium users, why did you convert to, to premium? The number one answer that we get is because, you know, I love Evernote. Yeah. You know, that, that answer is much more frequent than, oh, I needed offline notebooks on my iPhone or whatever. <laughs> Although, you know, plenty of people say all those things too. Yeah, and, and you know, I think what you've really hit on, and I'm, I've actually been studying this topic a lot. I'm working on a, a project uh, that that is not about freemium, but it's just kind of about, you know, what makes people commit. Um, in general, and, and I think that I see a lot of people committing to companies that either the tool or the innovation or the people or the culture or the purpose, whatever, inspires them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, there are a number of services like Evernote that I pay for, um, I, I won't say out of guilt, but out of fairness and out of, I, you know, I, I use this, this brings value to my life, I want to exchange value, and I don't really want to get this for free necessarily. Um, and in fact, I will tell you, I fall into the category, I'm sure I don't use the premium features, but I said I'm getting them. You know, I'm, well, I'm signing up. Yeah, and you know, and I, I hope it's not out of guilt. And, and, and we really, like, we're very serious about that. Like, we don't ever want people to feel guilty about using us for free. We want you to use it for free. If the free version is good enough for you, then just use it for free. Don't, don't feel guilty about paying. Pay when you want to. Pay when it feels good to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay. Uh, because either because, you know, you really like it, you want to get a few, you know, a few features. But, 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 but that's exactly right. You know, you don't... There's not a hard reason. We don't give a particular thing where we say, ah, aha, if you want this, you have to pay. There's a, there's a number of, of, of nice power user features, which do benefit you mm -hmm. if you're a power user. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of the time, it's just, you know, you've got, after you've got a year of your life in Evernote, you kind of feel like paying five bucks. Like it, it just seems like, it seems like the right thing to do. So it's not like a, we don't do that, you know, public radio guilt trip. We don't yeah. like nag you. We actually <laughs> we really, won't be here <laughs> next year if yeah, you don't. Have in any fact, the exact right. opposite, right? Yeah. We tell people, no, no, we're like your stuff in Evernote is good forever. Yeah. yeah, you know, you can export it anytime. It's open standards. You can leave anytime you want. We're financially very healthy. We'll be around for a very long time, even after we're no longer around because some giant evil company buys us. You can still get all your stuff out and, and put it anywhere else that you want. You know, we're very much a soft sell. We don't do anything on guilt. We don't do anything on high-pressure sales. We just just use it. Just fall in love with it. We want to give you enough time to fall in love with Evernote. Yeah. And then people support what they love. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, I'm sure you are well aware of this, and I'm sure you don't exploit this in any manner whatsoever. But the more memories you put in Evernote, the more invested you become, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, after... Um, like I was just, I was thinking about this recently. Like if, if you came to me just as an Evernote user, yeah. you know, let's say two days after I started using Evernote, you would come up to me and you said, hey, Phil, uh, how much money would I have to give you right now to let, to let and, and then I'll totally permanently delete everything you've got in your Evernote account. You'll never see it again after two days. You know, I don't have that much stuff after two days. I'll probably say, I don't know, give me 20 bucks. Yeah. We'll call it even. 
But then if you do it like after six months, you know, I've got six months, I've got like all the good food that I've eaten and, you know, some important business documents and some trips that I took. I've got six months of my memories in there. And you say, how much money would I have to give you to permanently, you will lose the past six months of memories for your life? You know, uh, that probably feels like it's a few thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. And now I've been using it for about two years. It, it feels like it's much more expensive than my car, more valuable than my car. Well, and I can tell you, I'm, years, I'm, I'm, I'm writing my in, entire next book in it. Yeah. Well, and, and imagine after 10 years, right? Yeah. You, you've lived in Evernote for 10 years. You don't have to pay. It's not like we take anything away from you. You can still keep using it, but you've got 10 years of your memories in there. It really feels very valuable. And even though you know you can leave at any time and we even tell you how to, how to export all of your memories for the past 10 years and take them with you, it's still like you still really feel attached to it. Yeah. You have a few competitors. Um, what is it that you are doing that seems to be winning people over some of those folks? Well, you know, we don't really, um, we don't know that much about our competitors. We don't think about it that much. Um, that's just uh, purely because of, you know, business practice. Like as, as a startup, you, you don't help yourself by worrying about what else, what other yeah. people are doing. Uh, just because, like I've never, ever noticed my third company. Uh, and, you know, I've been in many, you know, third sort of companies as a startup. I've obviously been in many other companies at sort of bigger stage. And never once in my entire life, either small companies or big companies, never once was like the comp the competitor or competitors that we worried about at the beginning actually a factor that mattered at the end. Yeah. Like well, it just never happened. Yeah, and I get that. Let me rephrase it then. Uh, Moleskin is a competitor. Um, <laughs> so why are people... I hope Moleskin will be a partner <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah uh, I agree. We actually, yeah, actually yeah. There's, there's, there's quite a lot that we do with, with yeah. paper and kind of combining the use case of uh, you know taking notes on a piece of paper. Yeah. We actually sell something in the Evernote trunk right now, which is a, a really nice notepad that's made in Japan by a Japanese company where you, you just write notes on paper and you take a picture of them and it goes into your Evernote account. And so it's sort of the best of both worlds. Well, what, uh, you know, what is making people choose you know, your platform over you know, all the various other ways that they could store memories? Well, um, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, it's ubiquity. So we're, we're everywhere. We're mm -hmm. on every phone you have, every computer you have. And so we're always with you. Uh, it's the sense of comfort that people have. You know, we've got enough. Uh, our, our 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 data and business models are so people have confidence they can put stuff in there. Our business model doesn't rely on us, you know, monetizing your data in any way. We don't do anything. You know, we don't look. We don't data mine. We don't drive mm -hmm. affiliates. We don't do that stuff. Our business model is purely, you know, make a service that a billion people fall in love with. You get a single digit percentage of them to throw us five bucks once in a while. And you know, keep costs down so that if we get those first two things right, then it's enormously profitable. Uh, we've got enough money where people are comfortable with it. We really focus on user experience a lot. So I think it's again, it's uh, in freemium. One of the things it frees you from. Sorry, you know, no unintentional fun. But <laughs> one of the great things about about freemium is you don't have to worry about anyone undercutting you. Yeah. Which is really, you know, which is really great, especially for startups. Like I don't have to worry about a big company. Just being cheaper than I am, <laughs> and you know, my customers. You can't be cheaper than I am. I'm free. Yeah. The only way that somebody can compete with me is to be better than I am, and I'm 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 pretty comfortable there. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm happy to compete. I'm better. It's much harder to compete on price. Well, you probably have statistics that could measure this, knowing how the technology works. But I, I will tell you the the one thing you didn't mention is, um, I have uh, an iPhone, an iPad, a desktop, and a laptop. Um, and probably 12 other devices, um, and mm -hmm. and I'm capturing notes on 
all of those and yep. the the syncing um, aspect of not only your tool but but certainly as it compares to any any other online tools I think is probably one of the greatest uh, features and I would venture to say that I'm going to throw out a wild figure here 30 40 percent of your premium uh, users are on multiple devices Oh wow! Uh, no, it's it's fifty um, percent of all of our users are on multiple. Oh devices. wow! Okay. <laughs> and twenty percent of our users are on more than three devices. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, mo the vast majority of our premium users are on multiple devices. That's that's absolutely right. But yeah, that that's uh, you know we're we're trying to be we, we want you to rely on us as a substitute for your normal meat brain. And uh, it has to be everywhere. It has yeah. to be everywhere where your normal brain is. So yeah, that that's a big part. No one else does ubiquitous syncing. Yeah. Uh, nearly as well. I, I, uh, and there's lots of other things. You know, no one else has the image recognition. So you can, you know, take pictures and business cards and wine labels and, you know, we'll index the, the words on there automatically. Uh, we just added that through a trunk part and we just added that to voice notes. You can take voice notes and it'll actually index, you know, it'll actually let you search inside of voice notes. Uh, it lets you put everything up and geotags everything so you can search by location. Uh, there's, there's, mel there's multiple unique advantages around how we index things, how we let you search for things, how we sync things, what kind of different versions we have. Uh, but at the end of the day, it all sort of comes together into uh, you know, trust, uh, trustworthiness. We yeah. just try to be trustworthy, uh, trusty. And uh, it, it, that, that's hard to do, it's hard to fake. And um, um, you know, we, we do it pretty well, and that's actually a pretty high barrier country. Yeah. Uh, it takes a long time to, to get there. Yeah, especially online, I mean, you know, yeah. you're you're not meeting many of your customers for drinks right now, right? right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Although we, we, we have people stop by the office pretty yeah. much constantly, just unannounced. Just yeah. And you're in uh, Mountain View? We're in Mountain View, yeah. Where's that? Mountain View, yeah. Yeah, you're in Mountain View, right. Okay, great. So you, you've mentioned Trunk several times, so I don't feel like we need to go too much into that, but you want to kind of you want to kind of give the tight definition of, of what that is and maybe where you're going with that? Well, the Trunk is something we just launched, and it's an in-app showcase of... Uh, other products and services that integrate with Evernote to just make your Evernote life you know, more awesome. So yeah. it's uh, tons of uh, API partners uh, that uh, you know, add functionality into Evernote, uh, different front ends that people have written, hardware partners where Evernote is bundled and does something special with, uh, you know, swag, you know, T-shirts and stickers and notebooks, uh, books about Evernote, all sorts of things like that. Kind of the, the Evernote ecosystem uh, is on there. And uh, the goal is to grow that very quickly. There's already like 100-something things on there, and um, uh, growing, it'll be growing fast over the next few months. And uh, it sort of turns Evernote from an app into really a platform for your memories online. And everything that you'd want to do with your memories, you can get, you'll be able yeah. to get a plug-in in the trunk that does that. Well, and if you haven't updated your iPad or iPhone or other, other apps, you need to do that to get access to the trunk, too. Yep. Um, so anything you want to announce, any big giant uh, uh, reveals that you want to give here as far as, you know, what, what you've got in the pipeline or anything, uh, um, you know, in the future? You know, we've got a ton of stuff. We've got actually a lot of really big stuff coming out uh, over the next, uh, you know, over the next few weeks and months. Uh, I don't think I want to spill the beans on anything that we haven't talked about yet because, uh, you know, our marketing guys keep me on a pretty tight leash about that. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I, I always have to ask. So, but yeah, but but but, but check back. You know, uh, there's kind of a let me think. So that we're right across the street from a uh, company called Playdom, uh, which I guess got acquired by Disney yesterday. Oh wow! So like 
the news broke that they got blocked by Disney. Yeah. And then we just saw this march. It was like hundreds of people that all just like marched out of the company because they had some like group meeting somewhere. So we just like sat there for like an hour and we watched this like procession of this <laughs> march of people that had just been acquired, you know, by Disney getting marched away to, you know, Disney re-education camps or something. And, uh, oh, wow. It was kind of funny. And I kind of thought, yeah, that would be a big announcement that uh, – Probably obviously just happened, and they all found out about it, and now they're having a company. Yeah, it's it's cool. kind of cool to see in proximity. But that's what life in Silicon Valley is like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Phil, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I know you've got lots of demands on your time. In fact, I think uh, it did, was it Inc. Magazine did a pretty big piece recently. Uh, I read a lot yeah, of magazines. I can't a, remember who who. Inc. did a story on yeah. premium, and yeah, there's yeah. been a few other things. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been a well, it's been a so, good topic. So, yeah. But, yeah, well, things are rocking and rolling, and uh, again, I uh, appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing your insights with my audience. Awesome. Thank you right, very much. Take care. Take care.